Hello again, my friends. We're in the continuing saga of David. And this is one of the weirdest chapters, I think, of this whole story. And there's some stuff to work through here. But David has just uh, spared Saul's life again. And Saul, during his uh, mea culpa, his I'm sorry speech, he says, you can come back and you'll be fine. But David knows better. He knows that as long as Saul's surrounded by people who don't like him, there's going to be an ongoing opportunity for Saul to forget that he repented and try to kill David again. So he actually goes and lives in the area with the Philistines in a city called Gath for over a year. And so this is the story of that year. So it's an entire year and four months, I think it is, summarized into a chapter. Some chapters are just like one scene. Maybe that happened over a day or over a week. Some chapters take place over a year and a month. And this is one of the year and the month ones. But just imagine what it'd be like to be have been anointed king and you've been chased out of the place that you're supposed to live. Now, theologically, this uh, foreshadows Christ, who during his ministry spent a lot of his time not in Jerusalem, not in the center of the place where he is the king, but often in other places like Galilee or Capernaum, places on the outskirts of the centers of power. And that echoes David's life uh, in general, but also specifically this time where he's had to to spend a certain amount of time in exile because the powers that be don't want him to be in power. And so th this is that messianic foreshadowing that David's life represented the Christ who was to come. But let's get into the story. First one of chapter 27. Then David said in his heart, so that's a picture of like contemplation, meditation. It's not that there's actually sounds coming out of the heart. It means that he's taking counsel in prayer with himself. Now I shall one day perish by the hand of Saul. Probably true. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. And so this is probably true. So this is David's um, internal taking counsel, and it's reported to us by the prophetic hand of the scripture writer who knows what David thinks because he's uh, got access to God's omniscience. And he's right. You know, he's, he's saying, as long as I'm in Israel, I will be a target. So it's actually better for me to get out of here because Saul won't go into the land of Philistia to seek me because then he would actually need a full-blown army, not just his chosen Navy SEALs men. His standing army is 3,000, but he'll need tens and tens of thousands if he wants to come into the land of the Philistines to get me. Verse 2. So David arose and went over. He and his 600 men who were with him, so that's a pretty good-sized force, not huge, but pretty good, to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. So this is really interesting because there's a history with Gath. Uh, Gath is at the beginning of the book of Samuel. It's one of the cities that the Ark of the Covenant goes to and strikes it with plagues. And so that was about the lifetime of Samuel ago. Samuel's a little boy when the Ark was taken and now he's died in his old age. So this is a few generations ago, but this is one of the cities that the Ark of the Covenant has struck. And I think there might be some echoing here because David's going to come to Gath and he's going to do his own kind of striking, but it's going to be a lot more hidden. But David is going to come as like the presence of God to Gath. And just like the 
Philistines of old thought that they had won and got something amazing by seizing the ark, but the ark ended up causing them trouble. So David is going to be received as a blessing, but he's actually going to be um, a source of trouble to the Gentiles surrounding Israel. So that's interesting. Also, do you remember where Goliath is from? Right, Goliath is from Gath. So it's uh, a connection that David is now going to seek uh, refuge in the city where the giant that David became famous killing is from. And so that's kind of unique. But also David once came to Gath before seeking to hide. Um, when Saul first started seeking David and, and David went to the priests at Nob and then Saul went and killed all the priests there. When David heard about that massacre, he fled to Gath. But he was just on his own. And so Achish's counselor started saying this is that David who kills all of us we should we, we shouldn't accept him and David had to pretend to be crazy don't know if you remember that he had to pretend to be crazy in order to get sent out because he was expecting to get killed and so it's been a little while later but Gath is an important city in this book and David is now fleeing to the place that God struck with the ark he's fleeing to the place where he had killed Goliath who was born there He's fleeing to the place where before it was hostile to him. And now he's coming there with his 600 soldiers plus their family. So there could be a couple thousand people involved here. But his plan worked when Saul heard that David had gone to Gath. He didn't seek him anymore. Verse 5. And then David said to Achish, If I found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now this is interesting storytelling because it doesn't explain right off the bat why Achish this time welcomes David. And so you have to think about it. All you get is that David has fled with all his people. So it's a complete exile. It's not like they left the women and children behind. They want you to know, and this is important for later stories, but they want you to know that this is a family affair and everybody's going with David to Gath. And then you just get this presentation of David requesting a city to dwell in. And there's some wisdom there, like a royal city, if it has, uh, the more soldiers it has in it, the more mouths need to get fed by the people in that city. So there's some wisdom for having like an army stationed in a different city and that city has to take care of them. But also, it, you, you kind of guess that David doesn't actually want to spend all of his time with Achish and live side by side with these idolaters. So he wants some space in between Achish and him. And so he presents this idea of taking over a city on behalf of the king. And that's where we get this historical landmark. What I mean is people might ask, why is Ziklag one of the kings of Judah's possessions, the city in among the Philistines were on the border. I'm not sure exactly where Ziklag is, but but this is the history behind why Ziklag has always been claimed in Judah for a while as um, a belonging of the kings of Judah. And there's that little phrase at the end of verse 6 where it says, to this day, and it obviously doesn't mean like to this day as in 3,000 years later, but to this day is a marker that the Old Testament uses to say, you can, hey, you know how Ziklag is like, belongs to the kings of Judah? This is when it started. And so it helps to cement the story being told by God's prophet in scriptures as something that is historical and not fantastical. This isn't the Lord of the Rings. 
even though the Lord of the Rings has lots of history in it, it's like the most complicated Im imagined history of any fantasy books. But this isn't Lord of the Rings. There's actual physical landmarks in the world that you can go and look at that support the historicity of the story. That's why that's there. And then we get this uh, time frame marker of a year and a four months. And essentially, so that brings that this little section of information to a close. How did David get to Gath? This is why. And he was there for a year and four months. And so now we're going to get a story that kind of explains what that time was spent with that year and a four months. So we're told that this isn't going to last forever. This isn't the end of David's story. He's only there for a year and four months. But what does he do with this time? Well, starting verse 8, we'll find out. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerizites, and the Amalekites. So I'm not sure exactly who these people groups are, other than the Malachites were like sworn enemies of Israel, but these are enemies of Israel. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. So very likely this means that they were people groups who were meant to be driven out of the land in the time of Joshua, but maybe weren't because Joshua's um, invasion was not that complete uh, victory that it was supposed to do. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. And when Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negev of, of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jerhamelites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. Negev there, I think, just means like deserted area, like a not like like a dry land or the southern part of Israel was often called the Negev and David would neither leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath thinking lest they should tell about us and say so David has done such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines and Achish trusted David thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people therefore he shall always be my servant so how did he spend this year and nearly a half well as a soldier, he needed to provide his own earnings. And so he was making raids. And this would be just completely common back then. I'm sure there's it's completely common in places in the world right now, like in, in certain areas of Africa where just soldiers just spend their days raiding. And it looks like David would be sharing his spoil with Akish. So this is how he's got his economy. I go out and raid, and then I share the spoil with you. I live off the spoil, and part of the spoil is like given to the king that provides David with some place to live. I'm guessing, I'm, I'm thinking that's how this works. Now David knows that he has to live uh, as a mercenary here, but doesn't actually, but has two things. He doesn't want to be attacking Judah because that's his people, but he also needs to um, have Akish trust him. He needs to have the king's favor or else, because he's still only 600 people, so if Akish wanted to, he could summon his armed forces and probably take David out. And so he comes across this scheme of fighting against the enemies of Israel, raiding the enemies of Israel, and then committing a harem, which is this holy war type thing where they destroy all the, the people, and then coming back and giving the spoil to Akish, but lying about where he'd been. And this is how he's staying alive as a fugitive in a foreign land. He's still being the king. And this is, this is hard for us. I know we're Canadians and war is a million miles away from us. 
But David is doing what he would have been doing if he were the king. He's fighting Israel's enemies. And maybe Saul sometimes fights Geshurites or Gersites or Malachites. Maybe these people groups make raids into the land of Israel. Remember uh, a few chapters ago, David is rescued because Philistines, I think it was, come into Israel on a raid and Saul has to go beat them off instead of chasing David. And so this was just common life back then is to have raiding parties chasing each other back and forth. And so David is still doing the work of the king. He's fighting off the king's Uh, the nation's enemies, but he's presenting it as himself as a traitor in order to keep the trust of Akish. And under the providence of God, Akish actually believes it. He gets more and more trust because he keeps thinking um, David is making it impossible to ever go home, so he'll always be here serving me, making me rich. And so this is not a great life. I'm sure David is not loving this at all, but this is where he's stuck. He's stuck in this rock and this hard place where making raids and deceiving his natural born enemies has become the way he stays alive. And so this is a tremendous low point in the history of the kingdom of Israel. And one of the things I've been saying is like, it's a character study of faith. Like just imagine being in that place where you're so stuck that you're kind of living off of lies. And I don't think that this is a breaking one of the Ten Commandments, false witness kind of thing, because David is stuck. Like it's the truth would would see him dead by an enemy. This is remember, this is where Gath or Goliath came from. These guys have been at war with Judah a lot. And David had to defeat Goliath previously, earlier on in his life, and now he's living with them, but he's he's sleeping with the enemy, so to speak. And so he's living off of that deception and and God is making it work, so to speak. But it's a very tough time and it's meant to be part of the story of what kind of uh, king is a faithful king in Israel. And a faithful king in Israel needs his hard days. He needs his hard times where he's not living in the fullness of the promise, where he's not living his best life today. It's not Friday for him and he's he's stuck trusting the Lord in a foreign land but trusting the promise of God to be fulfilled someday. He could have been king already. If he'd killed Saul with that spear, he could have taken over the nation and never needed to go and spend a year and a half living amongst the Philistines. But instead, he chose to be faithful to God and not put a hand on the Lord's anointed. And the immediate reward is a year and a half living amongst the idol-worshiping Gentiles. But there is some reward in that he gets a city. This is David's, I think this is David's first city, right? This is the first place where David becomes the the king of his city. And this is his reward. He gets a city amongst the Gentiles. And very interestingly, as a foreshadow of Christ, David's first city that he's granted is a Gentile city. He's He starts off before he inherits Jerusalem, he inherits a, a, a city among from the Philistines. And this is a picture of Christ. When he comes into his reign, he inherits the Gentile world. He inherits the Gentile cities. Jesus is the king of Israel in Jerusalem. He's also the king of New York. He's also the king of Toronto. And David's first city is not the great city of the kings, Jerusalem, which David will actually have to seize back from Gentiles and establish as the king's city. It isn't any city that belonged to an Israelite. It belonged to Achish, the king of Gath, and was given to him. But this is part of the promise being fulfilled that David would rule over cities. And it starts with a city in a foreign land. Amazing stuff. Be blessed, friend.